Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. It is um, really wonderful to be here. I said in the morning uh, services that um, Liz and I had worshipped at St. Andrew's um, on and off Um, around 15 years ago when we found ourselves living in Sutton Courtney. Some of you know Sutton Courtney just south of of Oxford. And we we ended up being in Sutton Courtney for about three years. And we would come to St. Andrew's from time to time for a bit of refreshment and encouragement. Um, And um, our eldest son uh, went to Sago and benefited hugely uh, from his experience of being part of Sago. So thank you very much for that ministry which touched our family life and Tom is um, married and uh, in London and uh, pursuing the Lord um, in what he does so uh, we're very grateful Uh, we have uh, four boys Um, Liz and I um, met at medical school Uh, when I was 16 I had a real sense that God was calling me to study medicine which was kind of unusual because there really weren't doctors modeling medicine to me in our family But I had a very clear sense that God was calling me to study medicine in order for me to go into a context where Christian workers can't normally go uh, uh, visibly. Uh, Sometimes we call them creative access countries. Uh, By the way, the UK is a creative access country uh, because you can't just come here and say, I'd like to be a missionary. Uh, You've got to find a visa, uh, some other way of being here. Liz unknown to me, of course, at that time, was growing up in London. Her, her father, a minister, had, uh, had a deep sense that God was calling him from a successful um, urban, um, uh, suburban ministry into the inner city of London in order to reach uh, communities that were more deprived socioeconomically and also in terms of, of, of numbers of uh, followers of Jesus. And uh, the Lord touched her heart during that period so that she really felt she wanted to give her life to serving through medicine in that kind of community. And so when we met at university, really it was a bit of a no-brainer, although it took both of us a little while to work it out. Anyway, that's another story, not for tonight. It's wonderful um, to have this opportunity to talk a little bit about what is mission. Dan 
asked me to unpack this as you have been thinking about it. And I, I love your, your, your booklet and all the different responses that are in that. Do read it and enjoy it. This morning we thought about how Christ, when he ascended, sent his spirit on the church. And that launched the church into mission. But it was a time of confusion. It was a time for the disciples of uncertainty. And uh, the, the Holy Spirit coming upon them brought clarity and vision and life and boldness to their witness. And our own, our own context, I would suggest, uh, both globally and nationally and perhaps for you individually, is one of uncertainty and confusion. I'm not just talking about things like Brexit. Brexit is, is one small part of a much bigger picture uh, globally where um, different national groups are struggling with the tension between globalization on the one hand and the search for individual identity on the other. And we see this all around the world played out in different ways. And not infrequently, uh, religion is adopted as an identity marker to say, this is who we are. When we worked in Tunisia for 12 years, it was inconceivable for most of our Tunisian friends that you could be Tunisian and anything other than Muslim. Because to be Tunisian was to be Muslim. It was part of the identity. And we live in a world where there's this tension between the effects of globalization. It doesn't matter which city you go to in the world today, you will find young people listening to the same kind of music, eating the same kind of food, enjoying the same kind of clothing, and so on and so on. It's, it's that universal phenomenon. And at the same time, this, this struggle to find our place in the world. So you have those kind of forces. You have this... Um, extraordinary moment of change that is taking place. You may not be aware of it, but we are now living in a, in a dangerous moment where imperial power is changing hands. It's moving from the West, and particularly from North America, to the Chinese. The Chinese now control almost all the resources in Africa. They've been working at it systematically, done a fantastic job, copied the British... And uh, they are now becoming the world's uh, new superpower. That is part of our changing context. The movement of people around the world in ways that we've never seen before is also part of the, the bigger context that we are caught up in. So you've got this session coming up later this week on, on how do we engage with migration. But the migration issues that we in the UK are facing are small compared with many other parts of the world. Take Lebanon where one in four of every person in Lebanon today is a Syrian refugee. Huge challenges because of the ability of people to move around the world freely. And so we have all these uh, issues going on, and, and, and there are issues within the church as well. Some of that is wonderful stuff, because God has been building his church. And so we ask, what is mission in this kind of world? What does mission look like? For us today. Now this word mission. I think we should just take a moment to think about it. What does mission mean for you? If I say. Summer afternoon. What comes to your mind? Actually I shouldn't say that. You might just start dreaming. And 
drifting off. But if I say mission, what comes to your mind? It's interesting, you know, the word mission is a relatively new word. It's derived from the Latin missio. And interestingly, the early church did not use the word mission. So when the Bible, which of course was written originally in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, when it was very first translated towards the end of the 4th century into Latin, the scholars who wrote the Vulgate did not use the word mission for sending. They used other words, particularly Greek words, that they retained. In fact, it was not until probably the the 15th and the 16th century, that the Roman Catholic Church begun to use the word mission about Christian activity. And there it was linked very closely to the political and military expansion of both Spanish and Portuguese empires. And the church began to say that its Christian mission church, sorry, its church agents part of this move, this imperial move, were going on mission. That's how it started. And then the Jesuits, who began to work in places where the, um, the Spanish um, did not have great power, and therefore they had to find a different way to work, the Jesuits began to employ the word for what they were doing in seeking to understand and reach out to local communities. In fact, when the Protestant church was birthed through Luther... For a couple of hundred years, one of the criticisms of the Catholic Church, of Protestants, was that you don't do mission. Because you don't have this imperial force going. And it was only really in the 19th and especially the 20th century that this became a big word uh, for Protestants. Now, this isn't to say, of course, that the word mission doesn't have meaning in the Bible. But I'm just saying it's a relatively new word for church uh, language. And it comes with baggage because the word mission grew out of what today we call Christendom, the idea that certain territories are Christian. That's the origin of our current use of the word. So Christendom mission was characterized by a number of of, uh, different ideas, but three I want to mention particularly tonight. First of all, Christendom mission was understood to be territorial. There are certain parts of the world that are Christian. There are certain parts of the world that are not Christian. Are you with me? So that was part of the idea of mission. You lived in a Christian part of the world and you sent people on mission to the non-Christian part of the world. That was one very important. So So mission is about territory. Secondly, mission in that sort of way of understanding it was done by special agents. Special agents that we call missionaries. These men and women, called specially by God, went from a Christian context into a non-Christian territory. They were the special agents of the church. And thirdly, mission was what the church did. So God had done his great work of salvation in sending his son because he loved the world so much... His son dies and rises again for our salvation. And now the church engages in mission. So those three kind of ideas, big ideas, have shaped the way people have thought about mission. Uh, And they still influence uh, many of us today. So back to our question. What is mission 
in the world we live in today. And I want to just say two things um, about this. First of all, from our passage, mission is God's mission. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we just had read to us this, this glorious, absolutely extraordinary um, sentence of Paul's. Actually, these first um, verses of Ephesians 1 from 3 all the way to 10 that we had read to us are in the Greek one sentence. <laughs> and it's, it's almost as if Paul is, is caught up with this extraordinary uh, vision that this is what God has done for us in Christ. It, it's like a, um, a waterfall of words, just a torrent that flows over and says, oh, this is what God has done for us. He's, he's caught us up and blessed us in the heavenly realms with Christ, with every spiritual blessing. He's chosen us. He's redeemed us. He's, uh, he's washed us. He's uh, made us his children, and so on and so on and so on. And then at the end of this extraordinary torrent of what God in Christ has done for you and I, Paul says this, there's one more thing. There's one incredible other thing that God has done. And it's this. He's made known to us the mystery of his purposes, his will. He's revealed to us the mystery of his will. For centuries, women and men have asked, why are we here? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? And now, says Paul, God in Christ has told us the purpose of his will. And the purpose of his will is this, that in the fullness of time, in other words, when time is complete... When everything is wrapped up, everything in heaven and on earth will fit together, will come together under Jesus Christ as one head. Um, imagine with me a jigsaw puzzle. Um, our family, um, particularly my side of the family, whenever we get together, um, for a holiday, there has to be a jigsaw puzzle on the go. Anybody else have that experience? You know, family holidays, there's got to be a jigsaw puzzle. A thousand pieces, yes, okay, but you know, that's not really serious. Two thousand, five thousand, now you're serious. And have you, have you had that experience of, of um, settling down in the evening and you tip the tip the box out and there's all these pieces higgledy piggledy all mixed up and, and you say oh right we've got to find the edge pieces right you've got to start with the edge pieces because once you've got the edge pieces in in place then the rest will fit together well imagine a humongous puzzle a trillion pieces all tossed into the air they fall and they're misplaced and nothing fits together and step by step, God takes those pieces. And one by one, piece by piece, he fits them back together. 
until the whole glorious picture emerges. Now that's what Paul says is God's purpose. That's God's mission to take all the brokenness, all the disruption, all the confusion, all that was not intended in creation. And under Christ, because of the cross, because of the victory of Jesus through the resurrection, because of the power of the Holy Spirit sent at Pentecost, he's going to fit those pieces back together till everything comes together under Jesus Christ as Lord. That's God's mission. Interesting. Now, in some places where I preach, that kind of comment would have, you know, elicited a kind of hallelujah or uh, some sort of uh, response. Uh, I I, I felt sorry for Bishop Michael yesterday because I was thinking to myself, every time this guy preaches, he's got a crowd of people there in the audience that are going, the congregation going, yes, I preach it, brother, amen. And Westminster Chapel, that's silent, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Windsor Chapel. Windsor, anyway, it was absolutely silent. God is at work and God's business is his mission. Secondly, God's mission is big and I think you will have caught that idea that everything comes together. René Padilla, who's an Argentinian missiologist, when expounding this verse, that God is going to bring all things together in heaven and earth under one head, even Christ, he says, the purpose of God is simply that everyone and everything comes under the lordship of Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is about, right? That's why we've just spent a week, thanks to Archbishop Welby and his vision, praying, thy kingdom come. Because that's the mission of God. Everything. This beautiful, life-giving, nurturing, restoring, healing rule of God established over all his creation. Just do a little bit of an exercise with me, if you would. Um, Trust me, okay? Put your hands out in front of you like this. Now, try not to knock out your neighbor. Keeping your eyes straight ahead, I would like you to open your arms. Keep looking straight ahead. Open them up until you can no longer see your arms. Keep looking straight ahead. Don't look to the left or the right. That's cheating. All right? If your arms are behind you, you are lying. Well, you may have some very odd medical condition. Um, Okay. The point is that at any given moment, you and I can only see a certain amount, right? That's our visual field. Are you with me? In other words, when I'm looking ahead, I can't see what's behind. I can't really see what's to the sides. That's our visual field. And one of the challenges of mission is that we tend to reduce God's mission to what we can see, to what we can imagine to what we can be involved with. But God's mission is big. God's mission is 360-degree mission. Now, does this mission involve us as individuals? Absolutely it does. And the church um, 
has historically stressed the importance of God's mission to individuals, making disciples. And that is hugely important. You know, when you and I come to faith in Christ and come under his lordship, we are participating in the mission of God, right? God's mission has advanced another step when you and I make him Lord. And when the lordship of Christ expands in our lives to claim the territory of our lives more and more and more, because none of us are living fully under the lordship of Christ, but as we let go and allow God to exercise his rule in our choices, in our thinking, in our priorities, in the use of our time and money and relationships, all those things. As that happens, the lordship of Christ grows, and that is his mission growing in us. So turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are God's mission field. (laughs) You are God's mission field. You see, it's not just about something that happens over there. You and I are caught up in it. And of course, we're called to be part of that ourselves. But that's not everything. God's mission, as I've tried to show, is bigger than that. God is in the business of restoring every part of human relationships, society, the way we function, even his creation. So Paul in Romans 8 could say that the whole of creation groans waiting for the revelation of the children of God. Now why does he say that creation is groaning, it's suffering, waiting for the revelation of the children of God. Because as God's children are birthed and begin to take back into creation the lordship of Jesus, we become those that nurture and care for the world around us in the way we were first intended to do it back in Genesis chapter 1. So the whole of creation waits for you and I to show it the love and the care and the responsible leadership that God intended for us. There's a friend of mine, he works for um, a Christian organization called Arosha. Arosha is um, an organization that helps Christians understand the care for the earth, the planet, and they're very involved with the UN. And um, at one particular meeting, uh, some UN activists came to my friend Peter Harris and said to him, you know, Peter, you Christians are the only one that we have hope in now because you're the only ones that have a credible reason for caring for the earth. It's part of God's mission that he's given us. And as soon as we understand God's mission in this way, then all of us can see that we have a part to play. And it doesn't matter what you're gifting, what you're passionate about, that can be a place in which the lordship of Jesus Christ is extended. To close, I just want to say three things about how this big but very simple understanding of God's mission affects those three things that I shared with you before. First of all, I said that the old way of understanding mission was that it was the responsibility of the church And as I've said tonight, actually mission is first and foremost God's responsibility. It's his heart. And I don't know about you and me, but that gives me great joy. That gives me great freedom. That gives me great release. 
Because when I make myself available to God, then I can trust him to lead me into his mission. He is already at work. So when I want to build relationship with my neighbors, of course I pray, I intercede. But I know that God is concerned for my neighbors and he's already at work. And lo and behold, Liz and I discovered this very recently. We thought we'd set up a, a home group um, and we'll try and set it up just for our community around us and see what happens. So we, Liz, um, uh, at Easter, gave some, uh, um, some, some daffodils to each of our neighbors and, and with it a little card saying we're starting a, a, a small group to begin to study the Bible together and support each other. Would you like to come? And two of our neighbors, not, not in any way connected to the church, wrote back and they said, we want, to, we want to come and join you. And we've tried to get this thing off the ground and for various reasons it hasn't happened. And this week it started. And the first people that came were a young Indian couple. And we said, why, why did you come? They said, you know, we go to church and we've been going to church and we, we feel something good. But we don't understand it. So we thought if we came and joined your group, we could begin to understand what it really means to be Christians. God at work. Praise the Lord. And God has been at work building his church around the world in an extraordinary way in our generation. We are the first generation, friends. Hear this, hear this. We are the first generation who is beginning to see the promise of Revelation chapter 7, that there will be people from every ethnic group, from every language, from every nation and people gathered together worshipping Jesus as Lord. We are the first generation to begin to see that happen. When Liz and I were at medical school, there was a prayer group that that I used to go to, uh, praying for countries where there was no known church. And today there is a church in every single one of those countries. Hallelujah. Amen. God is at work. He goes ahead of us. And we simply are called to listen. Secondly, special agents. Well, whoops, coming undone again. Special agents, all of us. All of us are called to be special agents in God's mission. Of course, we're not like 007, hidden, undercover, uh, trying not to be found out. I hope that's not the kind of special agent for Christ uh, that you are exercising. No, we live our lives openly, transparently, allowing people to see us for who we are. I remember in Tunisia, um, uh, after a couple of years, um, a, a, a Muslim friend very timidly and cautiously saying to me, Paul, are you a missionary? Now, this was a big risk for him because uh, it might threaten our relationship. And, of course, missionaries were not exactly welcome in in Tunisia, which was almost 100% Muslim country. But he, he was intrigued. I said, you know, I am actually no different here than I am back in the UK. Because when I was in the UK, I practiced my medicine because I wanted to show other people that God cares for them. And that's what motivates me to practice my medicine here. And I long that everyone would come to know God personally, 
for themselves, just as I've had the privilege of coming to know him. There's no difference for me in the UK in Cardiff or here in Tunisia. Of course, that doesn't mean to say that there's no need for special training. We may all be special agents, but some will need particular training for the context that they go to, and that's important. That's why we have OCMS. It's to equip some of God's people for particular tasks that he calls to them. The church's responsibility, it's God's. Special agents, yes, we are all called as his agents. And finally, mission defined as territory. Well, everybody in this room knows that mission is no longer defined by territory. The world has changed and we in the UK not only are incredibly secular as a nation, but we also are very plural in religious um, beliefs. So what are the mission frontiers that surround you and I today here in Oxford? What do they look like? Well, first of all, um, within the UK, there's a great um, difference in different parts of the country and in different places of those who are able to get to a lively, um, vigorous church and those who cannot. Most urban centers of the UK have churches like St. Andrew's, but there are many parts of the UK that do not. We lived in South Wales for some time, as you know. In the, in the South Wales valleys, the mining valleys, where just over a hundred years ago, incredible revival swept that region. And there are churches on every street corner. Today, in those South Wales valleys, less than 1% of the population go to church. So there are mission frontiers within our own context. Around 6% of the UK population go regularly to church. But if you look at young people in their 20s, only about 3% go to church. And of that 3%, half of them are in London. So immediately we know that young people are part of the frontier for us in mission in the UK or think about the Muslim population of the UK. Now, actually, most of the Muslim population in the UK lives in England. 2016, Pew, um, a research group in the US that provide very credible, serious research, estimated that just over 6% of the UK population today is Muslim. Well, that's very similar to the percentage of people that um, go to church Sunday by Sunday. It's estimated that if there's no significant increase in, uh, if there's no real change, uh, sorry, if there's no increase in migration at all, that by 2050, 11% of the UK will be Muslim. If there's significant increase in migration, uh, following, for example, the kind of migration that we've seen uh, in recent years um, in other parts of Europe, then there could be as much as 17% of the UK that is Muslim. What an incredible opportunity that God has brought into our midst those that need to know him from a completely different context, background, and faith. Well, those are just some of the frontiers that we face 
and other frontiers are to do with the vulnerable, the needy, those with mental health issues, the vulnerably housed and homeless, the increasing gap between those who have and those that do not have in our society. These two are mission frontiers for us. And then there are the whole range of issues related to what it means to be human. Because there are fundamental questions being asked about what it means to be human in our society today. Here in Oxford, we have some of the leading researchers into artificial intelligence who are telling us that it's not very far away that artificial intelligence will be able to think and do things more quickly than human beings. And they're talking about how you change human experience completely by using artificial intelligence. What does it mean to be human? Medical advances. And, of course, the whole range of issues to do with human sexuality. So, friends, there is no shortage of work to be done in God's kingdom in the UK. And there's no shortage of work to be done further afield. I wonder tonight how God is inviting you to join his mission This is Pentecost Sunday. This is the Sunday in the year when we celebrate that God did not leave us alone, but he empowered us to join him in his mission. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be anxious. But instead, God welcomes us as participants in what he is doing. Because I'm a fourth-generation cross-cultural mission worker. My great-grandfather was a Lithuanian Jewish refugee who came to the UK and encountered a Christian who accepted him into his home. And that's where he met Jesus. And he called himself a completed Jew. My great-grandfather gave his life for reaching Jews. My grandfather was a pastor who then gave his life to reaching Jews. My father gave his life for the work of Wycliffe Bible Translators. And Liz and I have had the privilege of being involved in cross-cultural mission work all of our lives. And so sometimes people would say to us about our four boys, are you praying that they will also become cross-cultural mission workers? And Liz and I, we always said to people who asked us that question, geography is secondary. God can deal with the geography. All that matters is availability. Are we available? Are we available to him tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to worship you on this beautiful Sunday evening that you have made We worship you, Father God. We bless you for our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have hope, forgiveness and new life. And we thank you, Father, tonight that you sent your Spirit at Pentecost and you send your Spirit to us again tonight to lift our hearts to you, to give us power and authority to work in your mission. Father, we ask that you will speak to every single one of us and simply direct us 
day by day, week by week, year by year, direct us into your mission purposes as individuals and as a beautiful family of yours gathered here at St. Andrews. May we continue to grow as a mission church caught up in your business. We bless you, Lord. We bless you.